Hey gang, welcome to Geeking Out, the podcast for collectors. I'm your host, Jeff French. I go by ETH Frenchie on Twitter. I'm the creator of the BPX Collective. And every week, we're going to bring you in-depth discussions with the industry's top experts, covering everything from sports cards to comics to TCGs and beyond. So sit back, relax, and join us as we geek out. And let's take your collection to the next level. Let's get started. Jeff, welcome. I'm so excited for today's conversation. I've had the pleasure of working with you and your team for the last few months and really learning about you and your story, everything that you're creating with BPX Collective and Lost Miners and all the various things that you're doing. I don't think you sleep. Is that correct? Um, you can see my Twitter <laughs> feed and see that I, there are many nights where I probably don't sleep. I, I, my, I've always had a weird circadian rhythm. And I would I would definitely dance to the beat of a different drum. Okay. So night out. Yes, very much. Yes. And I've gotten to get to know you over the last couple of months, and I would attest to the fact that you dance to the beat of a different drum in probably always of your life, um, but particularly what you're building. I always like to get started with these conversations, just really giving our audience the opportunity to get to know you a little bit more, just like I've had the chance to get to know you. So let's just start with something simple. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about Little Frenchie or Little Jeff? What were you like? <laughs> What were you interested in? What are some of the things that made you happy? I would say that I've always, obviously that we're, we're here and we're talking about in a world of collecting and that's the world that ties in here. And it, but I, I don't really have to stretch anything at all to go back. And, and that, that was really me from a very early age. Like my, my, my matchbox cars would be really organized. I would trade them with friends. And then as I got just a little bit older in middle school, being able to, be in a, a baseball card club and trade baseball cards. And I did a lot of, um, you know, creative play. When I was coming up, I would take cards and, and build games to play with them, share them with my friends, play them by myself. Uh, my, my brother and I were uh, five years apart. So we weren't really, um, we didn't play a lot together in that regard. Cause he was just so much younger than me. Uh, so, but, you know, really just, just always ha- am someone that, I like to think I was a happy kid and part of definitely what made me happy was, you know, collecting, collecting things. And I mean, I, I remember having a butterfly collection. It's kind of morbid now. <laughs> back on, I wouldn't do that today, but I did. I had a butterfly. Collection. I catch and collect butterflies. So it's just, you know, anything that I could get my hands on to collect, I would almost find a, a way to turn it into something where I needed a set. I needed a different thing to make it complete. And then the quest for finding that was always fun and engaging to me. It's just something that really and truly is, you say something in your DNA. Collecting is not in my DNA. I don't really don't know what is. I love that. And it seems like the way that you approached it, it's not just a matter of, you know, going to a store and buying a pack of cards, seeing if you've got the good one and throwing the rest away. It was really a creative outlet for you. It was a mechanism for you to play to create games to I know you've talked about it before like the numbers were exciting almost like the money ball behind it tell me a little bit about that yeah so um you know it's just when you think about having a collection of things when you're younger I really didn't necessarily collect at that point with the idea of any type of financial returns that wasn't Mm it so I was driven by the purity of what it was and what these things were that I had And again, when you have something like that and you're proud of it, 
one of the ways to bring it to life is to is to come up with creative ways of why it is maybe the, that the the sum is worth more than just the whole of those parts, and mm-hmm. you can do other things with it. Again, going to school and showing my friends how I came up with a set of every porch rock that's native to South Carolina, and showing that to them and bragging about that. I mean, <laughs> you know, that was fun to me, and then coming with baseball cards and sitting across a table and saying, Hey, come play this game with me that I've built. And we use our baseball cards to play it. And then seeing them play those games, just all of those different things where collection collecting met creativity. And a lot of it was born out of that purity of it when there was no financial incentive, I was never thinking those quartz rocks were going to make me rich or that that baseball card that I was playing that game with was going to be some massive financial return just the purity of it. And that, that helped me look at those collections, I think, in a little bit of a different light. And I do think it sparked a, a, a more of a sense of creativity um, as, I, as I grew. And speaking on that too, because I think that translates to so many things that we see you doing today. And collecting has obviously very clearly been a part of you. Like you said, if that's not in your, your DNA, I don't know what is, but your journey, particularly like to web three, your journey, your career has had so many different branches to it. What were you doing before web three? You know, everybody has their start when they're a young adult. I was an accountant by trade, grew up very humble and accounting was a degree that I could get. I felt like I could get some good employment opportunities early on. Never can say that I loved accounting, but I love what that that process did for me. It, get, it gave me an opportunity. I ended up with uh, Price Waterhouse right before it right before it merged. Price Waterhouse Coopers ended up being able to see a company people may be familiar with called Lending Tree go public. Was able to see the inner workings of that. Um, was able to then be uh, leave that and go to NetBank, the first internet only bank. See that from the inside, and then see that. You know, I can. I think I can do this. I think I can be an entrepreneur in this new emerging technological space, which at the time was Web One. So did that. Um, did Web Two with a uh, ended up going through building a big database company, moving into Web Two, building a company around a patent for what's known as lookalike ad targeting. Built a successful business around that. So being in Web One, being in Web Two, then Web Three was the one that really grabbed me because it did go back to my core it, because the first thing I saw in web three was the collectability of the assets. Once I understood that you could own this and you could really own it, it, you know, it, it, it takes a lot of people. You don't just see this. Most people don't see it and immediately get it. And it took me a minute to grasp digital ownership. But once I grasped it, I was all in. I was like, this is an asset. This is real. People are going to collect these. And at that point, I was just, I, I knew I would do something in this space. The more I dug in, the more I went down the rabbit hole, the bigger of a believer I became in all of the applications that the blockchain can do. But still, just to me, the one that just kept resonating. It's, it's why I'm not here trying to build, people are going to build ad tech businesses on blockchain. I've done that. I built, I don't want to build an ad tech business on a blockchain. Um, I don't want to build, I, I don't want to build something that I don't, love. I'm in the twilight of my career and I want to do something here. This is probably my last, my last, you know, web one, two, three, by the time we get to four, I'm probably, <laughs> probably retired. So, 
Um, this is probably my last bite of the apple, and I really want it to be one that that I can just love and enjoy. Wake up every morning ready to charge the hill. And I, I'll admit there are times in my entrepreneurial past where, you know, in in marketing and advertising and, and some of that stuff is a thankless profession. And um, you know, I went through the early internet with regulatory noise. Um, you think the right, I mean, the regulatory noise today is actually, it's less than it was. A lot of people don't realize that it was, it's less overall than what it was probably in the early internet because nobody had any clue at all about anything. So they were trying to apply all the old world laws around marketing and all that sort of stuff. It was, it was just everywhere you went, there was something, some regulatory, something changing. Um, this landscape is a lot of that again. But I feel like we can maybe see this road a little bit clearer than we could back then. But anyway, just coming through all that, it was just a very thankless profession. I There were a lot of days where I woke up and wasn't the most motivated. Um, but that hasn't happened in Web3 at all, That's despite the long hours, despite the not always happy people with me. I mean, I've had missteps too, just like there's really hardly anybody in this space that's building that hasn't had some missteps along the way. And that usually ends up with some holders that are unhappy. And um, and it's tough when you kind of have to wear those things. But the space as a whole and what I believe is going to be done here and wanting to be a part of it, it makes it easy to deal with those things when it comes because you can just keep your head up and keep charging because the, the, whole, the, the whole thing that we're doing is just so amazing. And I just so desperately want to be a part of it. And um, I think I have a great plan to be a major part. So let's talk a little bit about that plan, because I think even in the situation where you're talking about difficulties with missteps and holders and communications, all of that are skills that you're bringing in to what you're building. They're skills that you've taken from the work that you've done previously, Web 1, Web 2, are evident in what you're building today. And then do that in the context of what are you building today? What I think one thing, when I if I go back to my early entrepreneurial career, and I look at a lot of young entrepreneurs, a lot of the big people look at the, the big lightning strike, you know, unicorn type events. People look at Amazon, eBay, they look at Facebook, they look at Google, they look at Yuga, they look at Coinbase. And those are, you have to have just the right formula of luck and execution and luck and a good idea and luck and more execution. But notice luck comes in there a whole lot. I'm not saying that those people don't deserve everything that they've done. They are because you, you, you can't do it without all the other pieces that come with it. But you do have to have a lot of things to just break your way. And those are things that you can't control as an entrepreneur. Like you, Zuckerberg, let's just look at him. Right place, right time, the right idea, the right simplicity, the right execution. And then a lot of luck layered on top of that. And then boom, you know, he's got one of the biggest and best businesses I don't think that uh, Garga and, and Gordon and, and Sass and Tomato thought when they dropped the apes, that there's no way in the world they could have envisioned that they would be where they are today and where that project would be where it is today. And they did execution the best we've seen in the space, and they had a lot of luck to go with it. And so I feel like overall, the thing that I've learned is that your good execution doesn't always get the luck to go with it, but the harder you work and the more you execute, the luckier you will eventually become. You'll find your moments. And, and you just have to have the, the wherewithal to stay the course, to have faith in what you're doing, 
to know when to pivot, when to iterate. That's another big skill is it too. Sometimes it's hard to look in the mirror and say that the idea I had two weeks ago sucks. I'm not perfect. No, no entrepreneur is. And I think it's a skill that you have to develop because every idea you have becomes your baby and you want to see it grow and be this amazing thing. But a lot of your ideas just aren't going to land. And you have to be able to recognize that, iterate and pivot quickly, and then try to stay true to your North Star. And sometimes even the North Star has to move. And you, those, those, you want to, those times you want to be very rare. You want to try to stay as true as you can to that North Star and iterate. The, the whole on pivot away from the North Star, that's a little bit tougher. But I think that that's probably the biggest thing. Just the, the way I've been galvanized being through cycles, I've been, I went through the dot-com crash, went through the 2008 crash. I've had to lay off employees before because of, you know, the financial market. And just, you, you just, these types of things, they're, they just, they make you stronger and, and it, and it makes you where you're, you're just a little bit better suited to, to take some of these things. Now, at the same time, there's there are some things that youthful exuberance can bring to the table as well. Like I don't want to be a guy at all that sits here and says you have to have gray in your beard to be successful. You, you don't. I mean, I, people say youth is wasted on the young. That's I don't I don't like that saying. I think that the the next generation in our history has always we, we've continually the next generations have always been better, and I think that although it's not always easy to see that when you're the older generation, it's history eventually writes those books and shows us that we've progressively gotten better. And I think some of the younger people that are bringing these exuberance and this, these, these ideas and, and that sort of thing, I look forward to working side by side with them in the space. I think they bring fresh ideas. I think they see the world through a different lens than I see it through. So I'm always trying to pay attention. Some of the best people that I do pay attention to as it relates to Web3 is younger people in, in my life and my circles. I mean, I have a kind of a a little network of, of people that I know that are younger and I bounce stuff off them all the time. So I don't want to just, this to come across that. I think that my experience is all just all knowing, but it does give me advantages. But at the same time, I have to recognize the weaknesses that it may create and make sure that I'm backfilling behind those to make sure that I'm, I'm up with the, the latest stuff that, that younger people might be, be they, they might see that landscape a little better than me. And I don't ever want to be blind to that. Yeah, it's really about the the mutual respect there at the end of the day, right? You, you both have values. Everyone can contribute to it. And in fact, we know that the more diverse the perspectives and age being one of them in the conversation, the more diverse the product, the more substantiated the product is for a larger market. It gets really exciting. So we've given all this context then. What actually is PPX Collective? Tell us a little bit about that. So BPS Collective is the overall umbrella for everything that our group is doing in Web3. But for BPX Collective, our North Star is to create digital collectible adventures for people. We want to onboard traditional IRL collectors into the space. We want to commingle them with what I would describe as Web3 natives, people that are already here. We have a lot of different games and adventures that you can go on that are tied to real physical assets. A lot of them are tied to just digital only assets. We're developing our own franchises for different angles towards collectability because I think one manage multiple project streams at one time. Whereas a lot of times I do think when I was younger, I would not have been able to do that. Like it would have been really hard to land different project lines that are being worked on concurrently. It's hard to move from one to the other during a day. And 
and at, and at BPX, I think that is a bit of an advantage that we have because we, you could participate in any number of single things in our ecosystem and you could be completely happy and, and have your little world and enjoy that. Or you could be in all of these things. And we're creating all of these things, which since they all revolve around the reward token BPX, that is going to allow us to create just a massive utility set for that token. And it's going to let each of those businesses, or not business, this one business, BPS Collective, it's going to let each of those franchises, those in, in Web2 words, we would refer to them as product lines. Each of those can have their own market, their own market fit. But at the same time, there's this nice symbiotic relationship between all of those individual franchises, individual games, those different things that we're doing. And so, yeah, I, I, I really like the fact that we have this nice menu of things to attract different people, different types of collectors, different Web3 natives. Really, we've done an amazing job of onboarding in the last 18 months. We have onboarded so many real world collectors into Web3, and we've done it by tokenizing real physical assets, letting them learn how to hold an NFT on the blockchain that represents that physical asset. If they ever want to cash it in, they can burn the NFT and take back possession of a physical asset. We then gamify experiences for that, where you can basically rip packs of cards, play games to try to win some of those things. They get that immediately. They get the idea that, oh, the asset at the end of the day is a real asset. If it's a Michael Jordan card, I know the value of a Michael Jordan card. It's not speculative. It's speculative, but it's not speculative in the Web3 sense of speculative, crypto sense of speculative. And they will, they'll, they will absolutely come in and they'll wet their beak on some of that. And then the next thing you know, they learn about the CryptoPunks. And then they hear about our project, the Lost Miners. The next thing you know, they own a, a truly digital collectible. And just like me, they're red-pilled and they see it. And that's been a tremendous onboarding uh, tool for us. So we bring them in with something that's super familiar, let them red-pill themselves. And then when they do, all types of expansion opportunities within our ecosystem for people that are already native to Web3, just want to create fun and engaging things that help bring them in and commingle them here. But at the end of the day, we want to create digital collectible experiences that adventures that that both sides of that can really vibe with and enjoy. And long term, that's going to be um, what will determine the success of our business. That's, that is our North Star. And it certainly explains the fact it seems like you've got an experience no matter where you're at as a collector you've got an experience for them so you can be a very advanced collector with a lot of experience but have no experience with web3 you're going to meet them where they're at and they're you're going to join them in whatever part of your ecosystem if they only know cards and that's still something that they're really excited and interested about you are sort of giving them different product lines as you said based on where they're at in their collector journey and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, with the hope of, you know, really helping them to level up their collections. Is that true? If you look back at the people that, let, let's look at our, our oldest community participants, not oldest in age, but oldest in time they've been with us. We've been around for a little over 18 months now. The people that came in on our first ever drops, we found them all through Web2 marketing. We marketed to card people. We marketed at card shows. We didn't do any, we didn't come into Web3 and do, paid influencers or anything like you would normally see a web three project launch. Those people all came in and none of them had any web three experience at all. This was their first time interacting with a wallet, all of that. 
today, our retention of those people that are still in our community is through the roof. I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but it's, it's, I spitball at probably like 70%. And when you think that that's 18 months and a lot of them, you know, there's a lot of reasons that somebody would not stick around when they're first onboarded. And out of those people that are here, they, none of them are just physical cards anymore. They're all in other stuff and, and have real collector thesis around theses, theses around why, why they hold the, the things that they hold. I'm not saying that some of them also didn't go and degen a little bit and the receipts are there. I tried to warn people during the bull run to be careful. I tried to, to tell them that, you know, some of that stuff that they might, that I'd, I'd see pop up in discord every now and then might not be the best thing to, to, to think about long-term, but a lot of, I can, if you just go in our discord and say, how, how many of you went out of, of this, of BPX and had an experience that wasn't great. And then you rolled right back to BPX. I, I, we literally see that every other day, some new person will come in and then somebody will comment and say, yeah, I was here early. I went and tried some other stuff because they saw the, the shiny thing with all the money being made. And they were like, yeah, I learned very quickly. That wasn't all it was cracked out to be. And now they're back in, in block packs and, and BPX as a whole. And they just, they, they thoroughly enjoy it. You know, we try to create real value around the assets that we release. I like to say that nobody's going to get wrecked in our ecosystem as long as you don't do something just stupid and really get out over your skis as far as what you should be spending for collecting. If you just follow a, a simple blueprint, you're going to have, I think, an enjoyable experience. We've had a lot of people that have extracted P-word profit. That's not something that I optimize towards, but at the end of the day, if you build good stuff, you create good collectibles that people don't want to sell and then other people want to own them. That's a byproduct of it. And so I know it's real. I know that it's something that a lot of people, and my, I, do, I do myself, I don't, I don't buy Michael Jordan cards or Tiger Woods cards because I think they're going to go down. I don't buy them because I don't think anybody's going to want them in 20 years. I buy them because I think more people want them in 20 years. And so we try to put everything we build through that same lens. And we don't put it through the lens of will people want this in 90 days? We put it through the lens of will people want this in 10 years? And if I can't, form my own thesis for why that's true and why I believe that what I'm releasing is something that I'd want to hold for that long. I, I don't want to release it. Like it's just, it's not worth it. We'll work on the next thing and we'll find the thing that we think will be worth it. You can definitely tell that air of creativity, right? Like from an entrepreneurial perspective, there's always the business side, but you are thinking about this creatively. It seems like you're building a community that you would have want to have been built yourself. Yeah, this is the most fun. This is absolutely the most fun I've had in my professional career. It's also been the the stress levels are high because you're, you're under a constant microscope with web three that you're not under web one, web, web two, but it's, it really is the, 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 the canvas for creativity is just so open and some of the stuff that we've done to push the envelope forward to be creative and new products that we've done, you know, we, we've, we've always got some new stuff coming up. I don't know how much we would want to talk here since we're, you know, this is our genesis for the, for the podcast. But as we're talking here, one of the things that we're going to be launching is one called the Schrodinger circuits. And if you're familiar with Schrodinger's cat, it's the old paradox of there's gas released in the box. There's a cat in there. The cat is both alive and dead until you open the box and see if he's alive or dead. And we kind of took that idea and we said, let's just kind of put a a marketing concept around that. We had a generative artist 
by the time this airs, we'll have already revealed who he is, but it's, it's, it's Andrew McWay. He's the artist behind field trip and he's got a new project coming called block party. He's, he's a real quiet, soft-spoken dude, but he can do some amazing things on the gen art side. His it's really cool that what he he's, he's like this crazy genius when it comes to, to gen art. And for us, I just asked him to, I said, I just want really simple. I just want circuits like, and I want them to look like a electrical circuit. And then what we were going to do is we created a burn mechanism where you can, every 10 minutes, somebody can burn one of those generative circuits and it'll run a random on chain and you might win a Tesla. You have a one in 12,000, 1200 shot of winning a real Tesla model three. There's 18 months that that goes on. Every time somebody burns one, it'll run that random. When someone wins the real Tesla model three, that's over and the art lives on. That's a really interesting gamified burn mechanic where someone who is not necessarily a digital collector yet, they can understand the idea of a, the idea of a sweepstakes where there's a one in 1200 shot of winning. They can then understand the idea. Do I give up this art in exchange for a chance to win? Or do I hold my art? I mean, I would have a hard time burning one of the rare circuits that's to try to win the Tesla. I just, I'd rather have this, the known of the circuit. So you have, it brings in loss aversion that people have. And then, you know, there should be market forces at play in there for the ones that are least desirable. Because when you do gen art, a lot of times they're losers, even Fidenzas. When I look at Fidenzas, there's some that I don't love, right? As much as I love the collection as a whole. And so this will kind of curate that collection uh, with that incentive for that Tesla. That's a, that's a novel use of the Web3 tech. And that's just one little thing. That's a, that's not a, product that we have ongoing. That's just the innovation this week. And we constantly have those kind of things going on so that things don't get stale. And people are coming into the ecosystem. And we've done a number of those. And I won't try to rehash them here. But in the last 18 months, we've done a lot of those different types of promotions. We did one with a CryptoPunk. We've done them with some massive collectibles. CryptoPunk, when we ended up turning that into a series of licensed trading cards for the first ever licensed trading card set for the CryptoPunks. And we ran a, a game mechanic around that, which Again, that onboarded a lot of people into our community and people had fun with it. And then we do all of those things to kind of create these fun experiences. And then we work to deliver our own digital collectibles that have a thesis of why you'd want to hold them for, for the future. So it's just, there's a lot of creativity in the business. And that's what I get to, that's actually what I get to do the most of. And that's, that's, that's kind of my job, that, and then just strategy at the top level. And I love it. And it's what keeps me up at night. It's what gets me up early in the morning because I'm just having so much fun with it. Well, I don't know how anyone wouldn't have fun with it. I feel like I learn something new every single time that I chat with you. Is that at play? Like, are you trying to educate people on how to really learn more about collectibles in general? Like, I feel like you're such a wealth of information. So, yeah. So the, uh, the, the sense of community and teaching people, you know, when you came in, we worked with a number of smart people. That's another thing that I take pride in is my ability to recognize weaknesses that I have and try to find people that have that as a strength. And you had some really relevant strengths when it came to helping us shape some of our messaging and, uh, people may, I've actually gotten some compliments in just the last 45 days, how some of our messaging is, is landing better. I've had people tell me, wow, you're, you're explaining that so clean now, so clear. So that really is kind of the part of the genesis of where the podcast comes from and, and geeking out is just, it's what me and my friends have said forever. Aaron, who's going to have to be one of my early guests. He's a big participant in our ecosystem. He's one of my best friends in real life. He just opened a card shop. Um, and we say like, he'll, 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 he'll call me and say, he'll say, Hey, I'm gonna be in the shop this afternoon. You come over, let's geek out. And so 
that's what we do. And so we just wanted to name the podcast Geeking Out. That really resonates to me, resonates to my closest circle of people. And it's going to give me a chance too to bring in some other voices. We've tried to do a little bit of it, but we haven't really been intentional with it. We haven't had great organization around it. I brought in some of the world's best experts on video game collecting. We put some video games in our drop. We did a space. Some of the information that was dropped on that space, world-class alpha coming out of Peter Brady. And it didn't really get amplified all that much. It was really a terrible waste because just if you're interested in video game collecting, I mean, I, I literally had two of the best minds on the planet for it in a space. And we just didn't do a great job of getting that in more collectors hands. So that made me say, yeah, we, we, we want to get collectors more informed. We want to help them, like you say, level up their collecting. And that can mean a lot of different things, level up your enjoyment, level up your profit, level up your, um, just the, the things that make you, you know, that, that your, your sets and, and your knowledge base, there's just a lot of different ways that you can level up and everyone can level up. I leveled up when I was the kid collecting the quartz rocks so that I could show them off at recess. I leveled up when I was collecting baseball cards in the seventh grade and my entire collection was probably worth 50 bucks. You don't have to be, have super high end collectibles to level up. Everybody has a, a level that you can enjoy collecting. It's for the rich. It's for the poor, it's for everyone in between. Um, and for people that don't have a lot, again, I grew up dirt poor, welfare poor. And so, um, and I was still able to find enjoyment in collecting. So when I hear people say that collecting is for the rich or this, I'm like, no, no, it's collecting is for those that want to invest the time and energy in it. For those that want to form their thesis of how they want to enjoy it. But it's, it's not, it's not for the rich. That's for sure. It's, it's for, it's for everybody. You just have to find your spot. I love the way that you put that. And it speaks to this larger vision, right? And it's kind of all tied together. It almost has me thinking about a real component of like legacy. Like you've made it to this point in your career, you've had all these experiences, you have this passion of collecting, and now you meet this technology that allows for all this to come to be. Is Am I correct in thinking that this idea of legacy behind all this? I try not to be cheesy when I say things like I try to be genuine, which sometimes can be cheesy because I, maybe I am a little bit cheesy, but like I do want to leave a mark that my great grandchildren can look back and say, my great grandfather did X. And right now we've had some good wins as far as financial success, but there's, I haven't done anything. My, you know, my great granddad, you know, ran some ads on Facebook with a, a patent of how to target lookalike ad. Like, what the hell? Who, who cares? Like, that's nothing. But my great granddad created the lost miners of the ether when ETH is now trucking along at over 150,000 uh, a token. And the Ethereum blockchain is powering everything under the sun as it relates to the security layer and the, and the layer for computers. And some of these earliest collectibles from the mining era the mining age of Ethereum are, are in museums like the Louvre where you have a CryptoPunk and, and probably a Bored Ape and some of the other Fidenzas and, and Autoglyphs and that earliest things from that mining, mining age. And then we were there to book in that and, and close that out with the lost miners of the ether and have that hopefully in museums as well. That is a legacy. You know, that's, that's something that, lives as long as the blockchain lives to have been the creator of that. I'm very, very proud of that. And um, I'm proud of the team 
Because like I've said, if it weren't for the team, I would have been a dude with a whiteboard and an idea. The idea was mine, but the execution was everyone else. And now since then, I just stand on the shoulders of giants and look tall because I couldn't have accomplished any of it without all those people. But I'm very proud of it. And I'm very proud of other things that we've already done. I'm proud that we were the ones to do the first. I'm a, I'm a punk maxi. I love crypto punks. I'm a, one of the top 200 holders of crypto punks. I love them. And I'm very proud that when Yuga did turn the licensing loose, we did the first ever digital trading card set licensed for the CryptoPunks. And right now that's a very quiet little project. There's a lot of collectors that are holding the sets or rainbows of that. Doesn't have a lot of daily activity, but let CryptoPunks go to a million dollars and let people start to then look around that IP and say, what are some other applications where that IP has been put to use? And then it takes one sentence in one article somewhere to say, oh, and the first ever trading card these first editions by block packs and they were licensed to, you know, these first 31 crypto punks and you can go build a set in different parallels. And that has a real collector's thesis around it. It's not pumping. It doesn't have a lot of activity day to day, but go to those holders. And, but for a few that may be sitting on the floor as a whole, they're not trying to sell them because they didn't buy them to sell. They, they bought them knowing what they were buying. They were buying something that in 10 or 20 years has an amazing narrative around it. And that's the kind of stuff that we're building. And, and I'm very proud of those things. And, and so, you know, that's, that's just two little things that after I'm gone, those things live on. And if the crypto punks achieve what I think they're going to achieve, you know, my grandkids can say, well, the first ever trading cards for those, the Mickey Mantles, the Honus Wagners, my, my great, great grandfather did those. And here they are on the blockchain. And by the way, I've got a bunch in our family trust that he left to our family. It was worth a lot of money in 50 years. It's just, you're thinking long-term. We talk about it with the ecosystem all the time. There's, of course, DGENs, but there's also folks like you that have a strong thesis, that want to be building, are building for the future. And that's kind of this dichotomy of the community that we see in Web3 that kind of makes it beautiful. And I know community is a big part of what you're building across every single aspect of BPX Collective, but truly bringing that community together, the ecosystem community together, I know means a lot to you. Why do you care about community so much? Well, it's a word that gets thrown around a lot. And I will just tell you that so often community means we hold the same asset or class of asset and we want the number to go up. And when the number goes up to a certain point where the pump is over, the community shifts and moves to something else. Yeah, that still meets the definition of community, but it's not what I would necessarily call community. I'll tell you the type of community that, that I, born, I, I was born into a community of people where really small, segregated group in the South, kind of had each other's backs, lifelong friendships. Those people call me today. I drop what I'm doing and I help them. And I don't necessarily talk to them every day, but that sense of community, it's, it's so strong and it's lifelong. That one you can't really replicate. But now move into the community of card collectors, the people that I collected with when the hobby wasn't what it is today. The friends that I made in the early 2000s after the boom in that bear market that cards went through are still some of my best friends today. I don't necessarily see them. They're, they're, a lot of them are scattered all around. And as I was successful in business, most of the people that I met in transactional methods through business, when I no longer served their purpose and possibly when they no longer served mine, the relationship didn't really have anything to stand on. And those relationships for the most part died. 
I'm not saying that I don't have people in the Rolodex I could call and I had a good relationship with and I could rekindle those, but you don't have that that tie that really and truly can bind you together for the, for the long term. Collecting can do that and has done that. And it's not, and, and look at circles like collecting Pokemon or magic or all of these different, or video games, or now you see gaming culture with esports. I'm guaranteeing you that a lot, those, those people that are kicking ass at Fortnite today, they're not just going to stop playing video games in five, 10, 15, 20 years. And a lot of those friendships in that community is really going to stand the test of time. I don't believe that, let's try to find a greater fool and let's try to flip our DGen product is going to build a whole hell of a lot of really solid community and friendships. I challenge you, not you, because I think you're, you believe it, but I challenge folks to go into our discord. If you've been in other web three discords, go in there and just lurk, just lurk around for a bit. See the way that the people interact. I'm not saying we don't ever have dust ups. We have our little locker room dust ups. I'll get pissed at another guy. One of them will block the other. That happens. And I don't really stick my nose in those. I generally like both sides and they, you know, just things like that happen. I'm not saying we don't have, I'm not saying everybody's singing Kumbaya all the time holding hands, but as a whole day in and day out, real friendships are being born out of that. And they're friendships that I am confident are going to stand the test of time. And so that's the type of community that I want us to build. And when we build around a long-term vision, you're not just thinking about what is the next flip for next week. And then I'm going to go jump into this other thing. When you've bought those crypto punk trading cards or you've bought a lost miner and you've taken a 20 year vision or 10 year vision or hell even five in this space, you've aligned yourself with people for a much longer term. And that's what our people are doing. It's made for a much stronger sense of community. And it's just, uh, I, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And it's important to me because that's where your, the belief system Every collectible you have, every collectible in the world is built around a belief system. The only reason a CryptoPunk today is worth $100,000 is because me and about 3,500 more people believe that that's what they're worth. And so that's what comes out of community. And you can't have collecting without community. They, they, they go hand in hand. Why now a podcast? And you talked a little bit about it, but I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more on that. But why is this a great mechanism to even further that community forward? Yeah. So when you came in and talked to us and we kind of started putting everything on the whiteboard and we realized that, go back to that point I made earlier about the the great video game Twitter space we had that really didn't get a lot of run and how that was a bit of a waste. It allows collectors to get better at their craft if they learn more. And there really aren't a lot of podcasts that are out there that truly focus on the long-term vision of collecting. In fact, the best ones I can think of are like one dude with his camera in his on his iPhone and he talks about stuff and he just has a really great takes. But like a lot of the stuff that tends to be, get more attention and more eyeballs and can then they can then sell ads on it or whatever their agenda is, those ten, ten, things tend to just really chase one hot meta to the next. And a lot of times it's the it's the short-term focus. I mean, there were so many fly-by-night people that came into just the card space in 2020, 2021, and a lot of them are still around. And some of the advice they were giving people as that bull market was running, oh my God, it was horrific. And it just caused people to get wrecked. Um, and so I, I want to be a voice that helps kind of separate the wheat from the chaff, so to speak. I'm not saying that we won't ever talk about a meta like that's hot, like we will. And I don't want to ever 
you know, people say, don't, don't flood my bags. Don't talk bad about something that I'm invested in. And I'm, I don't tend to do that. I'll call out something that's a scam if it's a scam, but I don't generally, it's almost like if I don't have something nice to say, don't say anything. That's generally the way that I'll go. But at the same time, I think a lot of the metas that do come along, when I say that word, I just mean the hot topic, the hot, the hot trend right now as we're cutting this a metas, the open editions in, in NFT art. So I, I think at times it helps to look at some of those trends and talk about them so that we can then kind of compare them to the longer term mindset. It's the things that are timeless, the things that are never going to go out of style. It's the diamond solitaire versus the really fancy funky cut that somebody gets and they don't, they're not happy with it in five years. The solitaire never goes out of style and collecting is kind of has that same thing. There are just, there are certain concepts and ways you can approach collecting and it doesn't, it doesn't mean that that has to be one thing that never goes out of style. Like I, I could say the collecting Mickey Mantle trading cards never goes out of style. Collecting championship jerseys never goes out of style, but those the same principles can be applied really across the board and across the the value spectrum of collectibles. So that's what I think the type of stuff that we can educate people with. And I think we, um, with myself, some other folks that are on team, friends that I have, people that I haven't even met yet that can, that want to come on this type of podcast and, and talk about these things. I just, I think there's a really good place for us. And I think it can help push our entire community forward. It can kind of give us a larger, a little bit larger media footprint. Um, and then people can kind of get to know me better. And, you know, at the things that I'm creating, understand maybe why I make certain decisions the way I do, because you'll just understand my mindset better. And, and then people, but really just trying to help people get educated, form their own thesis and opinions on why they're going to collect or do certain things. And uh, just try to help the whole space, like I said, level up. We want it to be the podcast for collectors. <laughs> Geeking out, no matter what, if you're into collecting, no matter what stage, whether you're digital, physical, both, this is going to be the space where you can learn from industry experts. You're going to be able to, you know, probably get some market updates, like you said, here and there, meta as you called it. Um, and then always have kind of the latest information in a different form on BPX Collective. It's Seems to be anyways, from a podcast perspective. Uh, yeah. Why, if you're a collector, would you want to go anywhere else? Jeff, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been beautiful. I've enjoyed getting to know you over the last little while. I know that the people in your community, that those that have found it and those that haven't even found it yet, um, this is going to be great content for them. I'm really excited to explore geeking out the podcast for collectors. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. I appreciate it. I want to plug Christina because... She has done an amazing job helping our team be more intentional. She didn't invent anything new in the business, just really helped us shape and figure out how we talk about certain things and how we look at some of the things that we're already good at, leaning into them, leaning into our strengths a little bit better. So if you're listening to this podcast and you have a business and you need, you feel like that's a skill you don't have yourself and you want someone that could help you with that, look up Christina with a K because she's, uh, she's really done some great things for us at PP. Thank you so much for saying that. It's been so great getting to know you and the team. We're at episode one, geeking out the podcast for collectors. I have no doubt in my mind that in no time, we're going to be talking through episode 100 and many, many more. Thank you so much for taking the time, Jeff. Thank you. Appreciate it. 
That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to another episode of Geeking Out, the podcast for collectors. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button to stay up to date on all things related to collecting. Remember, new episodes are coming every week. So until next time, keep geeking out.